All right. Um, before we get going, I need you guys to help me with something. Um, don't hold this against me, but I, I grew up a, a Tar Heel fan. Um, is there actually a Yes. Wow. I did not think I'd. So my dad went to Carolina. I grew up uh, in the driveway shooting hoops and, and playing. And back when I was growing up, it was NC State that was like our rival. Duke hadn't, was just starting to get going, but State was our big rival. So Carolina won every game in my backyard. And uh, I grew up wanting to, to play for the Tar Heels. I, actually, I went to school there, but obviously I didn't play for the Tar Heels. And uh, I, would, I had a garage in my house, and I would like run out of the garage like I was running out of the tunnel in the Dean Dome. Right? I, so I'm like crazy. But... I'm never going to run out of the tunnel with the Dean Dome. Like, the closest I got was, like, going to the Carolina Museum, and they take you out with the players at the – it's really a cool thing. And so that's the closest I'm ever going to get. So I thought, here I am in the heart of Duke territory. You guys are fresh off an awesome victory over the Tar Heels. And I want to I taste a little bit of what it might like to be a Tar Heel playing at Cameron's. So I'm going to come stand right in here, and I need you guys to stand up and give me the whatever that – whatever y'all call that. Okay, so I stand up. I'm serious. I want, I want to feel, pretend I'm Tyler Hansbrough, okay? I got the ball, and I'm throwing it in, and you guys are just hating me. Go ahead. Go. Do it. That's awesome. Thank you. That, that's probably as close as I'm going to get to playing for Carolina, and you guys made that happen. Thank you. That would be kind of scary. Man, I can see why Psycho T uh, was a little intimidating, but... Um, wow. So thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> thanks for putting up with my Carolina-ness uh, here a couple years ago. Uh, my friend Drew is here with me from Greensboro. Drew and I go to the same church, and it's just our pleasure to, to be here and, and have dinner with some of you and get to share from God's Word. That's what's really exciting tonight is that God's Word is alive, and He's going to speak to us. So um, I direct the Greensboro Urban Project, y'all, Guppy. Because you wouldn't want to come to Gup. That would be stupid. But Guppy, yeah, huh? And I'm excited that some of you guys are going to the Bronx because my freshman year at Carolina, we went on a D.C. plunge in Washington, D.C. And that's where God really began to stir in my heart uh, issues about the poor, racial reconciliation, uh, really laying down your life and, and living in hard places. And so uh, I'm excited for what he's going to do. He, who knows what he has in store for you uh, up in New York. So I really uh, will try and remember to pray for for you all, and I extend an invitation for any of y'all to come and spend the summer with us in Greensboro, uh, hanging out with us, doing Guppy. We're going to Costa Rica this year instead of Mexico City, so we're going to spend a week in Costa Rica, and uh, we're going to learn about God's heart together. But that's not really what I'm here to talk about tonight. Tonight, we'll be talking about serving God. What does it mean to serve God? Uh, I, like the, I like the title of this series, You Got Served. That's great. And I want to open with talking about, how many of y'all have heard of a man named Paul Farmer, Dr. Paul Farmer? Yeah, good. Okay, I'm glad you know your Duke history. Paul Farmer graduated from Duke in 1982. Um, brilliant doctor. Absolutely one of the most brilliant medical minds, from my understanding. I'm not a brilliant doctor, but they tell me that he is really brilliant. And he is known all over the world. Uh, Paul Farmer was so smart that he went to Harvard Medical School while living in Haiti. He would commute. He would, like, get the books, read all the books, go to Harvard and take the test, ace them, and go back to Haiti and continue practicing medicine without a license. Um, <laughs> and he had this real, this real burden for the poor. And that's why he was in Haiti, because if you want to love the poorest of the poor, that's one of the best places to go. And so he began to think, how do we love the poor holistically? Not just do things for them, but to get, get at the roots of what keeps them poor, the systems. And I really like that holistic thinking. 
Um, and the book that I read about him was called Mountains Beyond Mountains. It's a great book. If you, if you haven't read it, it's, it's really a great read. And for someone like me who works with the poor a lot, and that's kind of been one of the heartbeats of my life for a long time, you would think that when I got to the end of that book, I'd be like, yes, I love Dr. Paul Farmer. I love him. He's awesome. But at the end, I felt really empty. I felt like I'm not sure I like this guy. Like, I really like all his principles, and I like the things that he's doing, and they sound really neat, and I'm going to apply some of them in my life. But I'm not really sure I get him or that I, that I like him. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and it's because his object, I felt like, his object of service, honestly, and I, I mean, he may tell me different if I ever meet him one day, I feel like it was himself. I felt like he was motivated to serve the poor and love the poor because there was something in him that it was just never good enough. I watched the way that he treated the non-poor, and it wasn't always with kindness and love. It was with kind of pride and disrespect. And he talked about some in the book about his, about his faith. And it seemed that instead of God being his motivation, God was more like an asset. Like faith is helpful in serving the poor, so I'll believe in God. Because the poor need God too, and we'll kind of do this together. God was like, his, like a tool in his medical kit. And it left me feeling very empty, because I believe that if we serve out of any other motivation than God, if we serve out of any other source or power or life than God, it's really all about us. And it doesn't matter how many good things that you do, it's in vain. It's in vain. There are thousands of people that have been helped by Dr. Farmer. And none of that can be taken away. But at the end of the day, are you going to measure your success in serving by your results and your numbers or by the object of your service? And if you're a believer, you measure your success in serving by the object of your service, who you are serving, not what you do. And who you are serving defines how you serve. And so we're going to talk about why would we serve God? What's our motivation here? And we're going to get some bad news. I know that was a really long passage that Catherine read. We're going to go back through it, not verse by verse because we'd be here all night. But we're going to get some bad news. Halfway through there, we're going to learn that, guess what? It's impossible to serve God. And then where are we going to go from there? Okay? So hopefully I've, I've got your uh, interest peaked. Um, so first of all, why should we serve God? Well, the, whole, the first like 14 verses of this Joshua chapter 24 passage is Joshua telling the people who've, who've inherited the land that God has brought them to, this is why you serve God. He brought you out of Egypt. He gave you this land. He said, you're, you're uh, eating olives off plants you didn't plant. You're, con- you're living in cities that you did not build. You're tilling land that wasn't yours. And you didn't get it with your bow or your sword. God did it. He said, I called your father Abraham who was living and worshiping pagan gods and I called him by name and I called him out. And then when you were captives in Egypt, I heard your cries and I sent Moses and Aaron and I delivered you. And then when the Egyptians were bearing down on you on the Red Sea, I got you out of there. Joshua is telling the people, this is your God. Why would you not want to serve him? And so it's really interesting. I think it's in verse uh, 15. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, like he's kind of saying, If after I've told you all this, you still think God's not worthy of being served, you want to choose one of these lesser gods that really aren't gods at all, then go ahead. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that, some of y'all have probably seen that, you know, maybe like crocheted on a towel in somebody's kitchen or over, you know, over the the door or something. That's a great verse. But the context of it is, why would we serve God? Because he has been so good. Because there is no God like our God. 
Well, I doubt any of you have been delivered from Egypt by uh, plagues and you weren't at the Red Sea trapped with the Israelites, right? You didn't conquer any lands except Chapel Hill this past week. Um, And you guys probably thought you were right in there with the team, just like I was in there with my team. But I think this stuff does apply to our lives. Because you wouldn't be students at one of the best universities in all the United States of America if God hadn't given you the mind and the ability to be here. You You didn't make your brain be as smart, as intelligent as it is. You didn't have the right school to go to, the right family, the ways that, the ways that things that got you here, those were gifts from God. You can't take any credit for that. I, I hate to, to bust your bubble. If you, if you thought it was my hard work in high school, you wouldn't be able to work if God didn't have everything in you working the right way. God has been good to you. If you're a Christian, you were like Abraham, were called out. You were worshiping things that were not God. And God called your name and said, no, I'm the true God. And I want you to be in my family. And there were things that he has delivered you from. Things that, you, that were too strong for you and too great for you. And he came in and he rescued you. And just like he gave uh, Abraham Isaac, the son of promise, he gave you Jesus Christ. The son of promise who delivered you from sin and gave you life with God both now and evermore. Why do we serve God? Because he is so good to us. Because he has been so gracious because he is a God unlike any other gods. Amen? Amen. So when we think about all that God has done, our reaction is similar to the people of Israel when Joshua gets done. They're awesome. They're like, dude, we're going to serve God because he's awesome and he's delivered us. Woo! We're going to do it. And that's the appropriate response. That's the appropriate response. When you see all that God has done for you, the the appropriate response is worship and submission, and we're going to serve you. Now, we we do fight that, especially uh, the the further we are from God. If we're not in Christ, we kind of still want to serve ourselves. But as we understand who God is and what he's done, the, the correct response is, yes, Lord, I will serve you. But then, you know, Debbie Downer, Joshua, you know, like, but it's impossible to serve God. You know, it's like... Oh, great. We're all fired up. You just told us how good God is, and you called us to serve Him. You said, you're going to serve Him, and we're going to do it too. And he said, you can't. Why would he say that? Why would you say such a thing, Joshua? Let's all go out and serve God together. Well, in Deuteronomy, just before Moses is going to hand off uh, leadership to Joshua, God calls them to the tent of meeting. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And he says, okay, Joshua, Moses is not going on. You're going to take over. And guess what? I'm going to lead the people into the land, and they are going to turn against me. They're going to do it. They are stiff-necked people. They are rebellious and sinful, and they are not going to serve me with all their hearts. They're going to turn to other gods. So Joshua knew this, because God knows what's in the heart of all people. In the heart of all people, rooted in the fall, what happened in Genesis, is this independent saying, I can do it. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? I want to do it my way. That was the temptation in the garden. I don't think Adam and Eve were really saying, man, how can we mess up and how can we be bad? That wasn't it. The temptation is you can be like God and you won't need him anymore. And that would be awesome. You would know good and evil for yourself. You won't have to bother God with your petty questions. You can just do it. And from then on, when they said, yeah, that would be great. That's been our curse. that's, That's the root of all sin. I want to do it my way. I can do it myself. I can live independent from God by my own means and my own strength. And God knows this. 
So he told Joshua, these people are going to turn. And so when the people get all fired up and say, yeah, we're going to serve God, Joshua says, it's impossible. Because your hearts are so fickle. And they're going to turn. And you're going to forget all that God has done for you. And all these gods are going to seem so great and so tempting. And you're going to turn. It's going to happen. And they're like, no, we won't. We promise. God is the best. (laughs) But we see, if we continue to read, they worship other gods. They turn and they, they get conquered by other nations as punishment, and they come back, and they turn, and they come back. It's this continuing cycle. See, independence is our default. Now, if, if you're not a Christian, you have no other choice but to live independent from God. You've been cut off from the life of God that you were created for, and so your only resource is yourself. But if you're a Christian, you have the life of Jesus Christ. You have another source besides yourself, but guess what? We still like to live like we can do it our way. But what happens is we kind of dress it up in religious clothes. We say, I want to serve God myself. I want to do it my way. And I like the song that I like all the songs that we sang, but one of them said, I want to live for you. And I appreciate that sentiment. That I want to live for God in response to all he did. But God doesn't need you to live for him. He doesn't need anything from any one of us. Instead, he wants us to live from him as our source and our creator in our life. And if we live from him, he's going to do great things through us. But we have this independent streak. It's called the flesh. In the New Testament, uh, if you read in the NIV, it's translated sinful nature. But the better translation is the flesh. And the flesh is any way of meeting your needs and my needs apart from God as our life and our source. And so this independence runs all through us. And, and we're trying to make life work. Now, when I read Paul Farmer's book, there's an interesting... Uh, kind of anecdote in the start of it. It's talking about his childhood growing up. And he had a very, very demanding father. Nothing was ever good enough for Paul Farmer's dad. And he never got any praise. And he was driven. And he was the best. I mean, he, he was sharp. And there's a, there's a place where his father has died. And Paul reads a letter that his dad either, I don't know, for some reason never mailed. And in that letter, his dad told him he was proud of him. And he just wept. Because he had never heard it from his father. And I'm no, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not saying I can read into Paul's heart. But I believe that's at the root of a lot of what drives him to serve and to be the best. He's trying to cover up this, this need for acceptance, this need for love, and saying, then I'm going to help everybody else. I'm going to accept all these people that were rejected. And I think that's what drives it. But that's independence. Now, I can't speak, again, for, for Dr. Farmer, but I can speak for me. And I can share with you some of the ways that I dressed up my independence in very nice intervarsity clothes. My junior year at Carolina, I was intervarsity poster boy. I mean, I was on the path to intervarsity stardom, right? Um, first semester, we switched on the calendar year for leadership. So first semester, I was large group coordinator. So I was up front, you know, rocking the crowd, right? Second semester, I was chapter president. So I wasn't up front as much, but I was you know, chapter president, caring for everybody, shepherding the flock, right? I was being discipled by my InterVarsity staff worker. I was discipling two freshman guys. I was the co-editor of the feature section of the Daily Tar Heel. I was taking classes. I had a, a, a girlfriend that was in the chapter. And on, on the outside, everything looked awesome. I was a Christian leader. I was in the Daily Tar Heel, mixing it up with the non-Christians, you know, trying to be a light for Jesus in that place. And I was discipling these young freshman guys and how to grow in Christ. But on the inside, my soul was a wreck. My roommate hated me. He was, on, he was on C team with me, 
And one time we did these things called sociograms. I don't know if y'all do these things, but it's like you, you like gauge your relationship with one another by like drawing these different kinds of lines. And like a strong dark line is good, we're cool, and like dotted line is like we're not. And his was like three dots from him to mean. <laughs> and he just went off on me in a C team meeting. You're selfish. You don't care about anybody but yourself. And you think you're so, I mean, he, he just blew me out of the water. But that was who I was in the room when nobody else but him could see. Um, I couldn't maintain the dating relationship, so I, I broke, broke up with this, this girl in a really horrible way. I was just very immature. I went home for the summer, and I was working at a newspaper for an internship, and my soul felt like the desert. I felt like I was praying, and my prayers were just bouncing right back down to me because I had not cultivated life with God. I was doing things for Him. I was serving God, but it, my object of service wasn't God. My object of service was that people would see me as a leader, that people would see me as a good Christian, that I would appear to have it all together. And so my object of service was me. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be accepted. I craved it, and I was trying to get it through religious trappings. And I would be willing to bet that a lot of you out there right now identify with that. Because it's easy to get applause in Christian circles just by being a servant. I mean, who doesn't like the person that's always staying late to, to put up stuff after an event? Or is always willing to, to come over and pray with you? Or is always willing to, to help out? Everybody likes that person. I want to be that person. Who doesn't like the Christian applause? Who doesn't like looking busy? We love to look busy for Jesus. We love to have a full schedule and say, oh, I don't really have time because I've got all these things and they're all good things and I'm so busy, busy, busy. Because we find identity in the things that we do, but our object and our source, if we're honest, is not always Jesus Christ. Well, what happens when we do that, and I think what has happened in, in Paul Farmer's life, is that it denies God the one thing that he really craves from our lives on earth, which is that he would receive glory. Jesus said in John 15, this is to my Father's glory, that you would bear much fruit. We bear fruit not so that people will like us, not so we'll have a, a nice Christian resume, but that God would receive glory and people would say, man, what an awesome God. I can see it in your life. And when the object of our service and the object of our faith is me and how can I look better to other people, it denies God glory because guess what? You're getting the glory. You're the awesome Christian. You're the one, you're the awesome, if you're not a Christian, you're the awesome person who cares about this or that. So that's why Joshua says, you can't do it. It is impossible to serve God. So serving God is what we're supposed to do. It's the correct response to how good he is and how loving and how awesome he is. It's the only real response is to say, I worship you, I surrender, and I will serve you. If it's what we're supposed to do, but it's what we can't do. Are we just stuck? Are we lost? Well, I don't think so. Now, these people were in the Old Testament. They were really in trouble because they didn't have any other option except to this cycle of trying and failing and I'm sorry and I'll come back and all this. But the good news is God has an answer for you tonight. Uh, one of my favorite authors and speakers is Major Ian Thomas. If you've never read anything by him, he talks a lot about the indwelling life of Christ and the believer. And one thing that he said that always stood with me is, um, you, you can't, but God never said you could. But God can and said he always would. And for a believer, that's an important place to get to, to say, I can't, but God never said I could. But he can and said he always would. This Christian life that we think we're supposed to live and supposed to be about, 
There's only one Christian life. It was lived over 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you believe in Jesus, you have that Christian life right inside of you. So it's not up to you to live the Christian life. You can't. But God can because He already did. And He'll do it through you if you get out of the way and let Him. If you are a Christian, you have the very life of Jesus Christ in you. Jesus was a servant above all. Jesus was the king of all who bent down to wash the disciples' feet. I mean, who can outserve that? And in Colossians 1.27, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. The thing that you're created to do, which is to bring glory to God by your worship of Him and your service and your just surrender, Christ in you can do that. To me, that's good news. Now, I'm meeting with a, a, a young guy in Greensboro, and to him, it's really not good news sometimes. Because even though he loves Jesus, he still wants to do it. He still wants to get it right. He still thinks that he can. And we were talking the other day, and I said, man, you want to, depend on, you want to learn how to depend on Jesus so that you won't have to depend on Jesus anymore. Like, he wants to get to this point where his life is so, like, on autopilot because he's in touch with Jesus that he doesn't need Jesus. And he was like, yeah, you're right. And I was like, yes, that's independence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does dependence on Jesus look like? That's a nice term, it's a nice concept, but what does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you a picture from my life that you guys might not be able to relate to at, at, at this stage in your life, but then we're going to extrapolate it out to see what it might look like for you. Um, as a pastor, my week starts on Sunday and goes through Thursday. I take Friday and Saturday off. And by Thursday, I am exhausted. Because Wednesday morning, I get up and I meet with Drew and another guy at 7 a.m., and my day goes all day, and we have a dinner for the homeless at our church at 6, and then I lead another Bible study for four guys from 7 to 8.30. So that's a long day, after a couple long days before that. So Thursday, it's all I can do to get to the office, answer my emails, handle a few appointments, and then just get home by 5 or 6. But when I get home, and this is a joy, but guess what's waiting on me? Three children. A first grader, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. And it's awesome, man. I love it. Like, I, they look for my car, and their faces peeping out the door, and they're like, Daddy! And they, I mean, when I come in, they are just busting to hug me. I mean, it's awesome. I love my kids, and they love me, and that's great. But on Thursday, that's hard. It's hard, because I've got two and a half, three hours where I can't just sit down and read a book. I can't just veg out, because they, they need to be with their dad. They want to wrestle, they want to play, we need to do baths, we need to eat dinner, read stories, sing songs, all this stuff. And it's a packed two hours. I mean, we, we get it done. And so some days, on my, on my bad days, I just go and say, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to muscle through. I'm just going to be a good dad for you, Jesus. And I go in and do my best and collapse when they go to bed. But recently, one time, God gave me such grace as I pulled in. I said, Lord, I can't do it. And he said, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. I said, Lord, I need you to be a good father through me. I know you love my kids and you love my wife and I don't have it right now, so will you do it through me? And he said, yes, I will. And it's not like I drank this like spiritual like energy drink. All right, kids. It wasn't like that. I was still worn out. But when I went in the house, I knew I was going to love my wife and kids well because I was allowing Jesus to do it through me and he never runs out of love for them. And we had a great evening because I was operating in the power of the Spirit, dependent on Jesus Christ instead of doing it my own way. Now, like I said, that might not be your experience at the end of a long week. Um, you might not have three kids running at you out of your dorm room. Okay. <laughs> I hope not, because that's probably some sort of like campus violation or something. 
But you can all relate to this. I'm at the end of my rope and I'm exhausted and I have a sweet mate who is so needy and they just want to talk. And they, and they seem like they, they want the time and the energy that I don't have. Well, you can't. But Jesus can. And He said He would if you would get out of the way and let Him. So you can either try and muscle your way through and say, yeah, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to try like cut them off as soon as I can and get to bed. Or you can yield yourself and say, Jesus, I'm dependent on you to love this person through me with all the resources that you have that are at my disposal. Because in 1 Peter it says He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Whether it's love, patience, energy, whatever. Maybe uh, you go home and, and you're a Christian, but maybe people in your family aren't. And you say, Lord, I don't know how I can bear a whole summer or even a Christmas break at home with these people who don't know you the way I do, and they, they even mock my faith. Well, you can. But Jesus can, and he can show you how to serve them in ways that will touch their heart if you will yield to him instead of trying to figure out how you can do it and white-knuckle your way through it. Well, one of the ways that we grow in our dependence on Jesus and our yielding to him is that we focus on God. See, what we focus our time and our attention on are the things that we begin to reflect to others, right? In, in 1 Corinthians, it says that we who with unveiled faces look upon Jesus, we reflect the Lord's glory. Now, if the object of your service is you and you wanting to be liked and you wanting to, to have a, a good resume and have a good standing with other people, then, then your focus is yourself. That junior year of college, that focus, my focus was me. And what did that get me? Rock bottom. Because there's no life in me. There's no hope in me. But when my focus is on Jesus Christ and on His love, then I begin to reflect Christ. And I begin to live out of His hope and glory. So focusing on Christ means that we, that we actually spend time with God on a regular basis. I'm not trying to lay down a law if you have to like, have a Bible study every day, but I'm saying on a regular basis, you're setting your heart and mind and affections on Jesus. You're getting quiet. You're lifting the concerns of your heart. You're reading the Bible. And you need to remember who you are. And I'm, it makes me sad that some of you in here probably don't know who you are. You don't know all that you've been given in Christ, that you have been made holy and righteous in Him, that you have been called sons of the King, and that all that approval and acceptance that you long for and that you hope you'll get by getting good grades or being the good Christian or being a leader in InterVarsity is already yours in Christ. You don't have to strive for it. You just have to receive it. And the more that you really grasp that and you believe that I am accepted and I am loved and God's approval is on me, not for anything that I've done, but just because I am and because of what Jesus gave for me, you're going to run free. Psalm 119.32 is one of my favorite psalms. It says, I run in the paths of your commands. For you have set my heart free. The setting heart free preceded the running in the paths of the commands. We get that wrong. I'm going I'm to be busy for Jesus. And maybe he'll like me. No, he's already set your heart free. He's already set his affection upon you. So now run in freedom. Run like who you are. So why do we serve God? Because God has given you everything that you have. Even if you're not a Christian, God has given you everything that you have. God has given the son of promise on our behalf, Jesus Christ. God has delivered us and provided deliverance from everything that plagues us. And so we run with him because he is a good God. But it's impossible if you try and do it on your own. You will not be able to do it. But as you learn to depend on Jesus, on the indwelling life of Christ, who said he always would if you would get out of the way, you will serve God in ways that you can't imagine because it won't be you anymore who's doing it. It will be you cooperating with the power of Jesus Christ within you. You were created to bring God glory through service. And when you and I serve out of the power of Christ, it, it's joyful.
we run in the paths of his commands because our hearts have been set free. So I really pray that if, if this is speaking to you tonight, you, you will continue to think about this. You will go back and read this chapter of Joshua and look at all that God did for the Israelites. And look at their response. And, and you hear Joshua say, it's impossible. But you say, no, but in Christ. In Christ, I can serve from him. So I'm going to pray to that end and ask God to continue the work that he's begun in us tonight, okay? Lord, we're, we're thankful for your word, that it, that it calls us to remember who you are and whose we are, that you tell us our identity, you tell us our acceptance. Lord, help us, help us to believe, help us to receive your life more, more and more, that you might live through us and do the things that we never can. I pray that this chapter would be one that whose eyes and hearts are set on you as the object of their service, not a good reputation on campus, not some sort of ideas that they have, but on Jesus Christ. And you'll take care of all the details. I really believe that. You'll give them vision. You'll show them where to run. Well, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would be free. Lord, that they would not be hindered by any lies or anything growing up, any shame. That they would run in the acceptance of Christ and be conformed more and more to your likeness. Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross to forgive our sins, but you also rose from the dead that we might have life. Lord, thank you. Thank you. We praise you tonight. May your word continue to stir in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, my name is Catherine. Again, hi. Um, so, uh, I So the reason why I'm up is to talk a little bit more about the Greensboro Urban Project, y'all, Guppy. Um, the tagline is bringing y'all back to urban since 2004. Uh, so I thought it was really funny. Um, so I had the honor of working uh, with Marshall over the summer. And uh, basically, uh, when I found out that I got it, and I was really ecstatic. But I also kind of went in with the mentality of, like, you know, I've dealt with urban poverty before. And so I really, like, you know, like the pe- people had told me that my life was going to get changed. Um, and I was like, mm, yeah, you know, it will. And then seriously, my life got changed. Like that's um, the six slash seven weeks of being in Greensboro. Um, it wasn't just like a change in terms of like, wow, this really has, you know, I've, I've never seen this in a different light, which, which that happened. But it was also, I guess, like changing my entire mentality of what does it mean not just to do things, but to be, um, to have an identity um, that's rooted in God. It wasn't just doing Christian things or doing service, but being a Christian and being, like, serving because you are a servant. And um, I really encourage all of you guys to, I guess, um, really think about Guppy. I know that there are so many wonderful things in the summer, and I will say that, like, those are all probably really great as well. But um, a part of me really fears, like, I guess, really um, just, like, putting Guppy at such a high level because I'm scared that you'll be disappointed once you go. But the other part of me knows that that, like, will not happen. And so, like, I'm, like, really excited about, like, I guess um, just how amazing Guppy is. Um, and I guess, like, what, after having done it over the summer and coming back, um, it basically has changed my entire outlook of how community is formed. Um, what does it mean to be a member of community? What does it mean to love one another? What does it mean to share the gospel, not just through your words, but through your actions? What does it mean to serve? And all of those things are, um, I guess, rooted in identity. And um, for those of us who went to Urbana, like, it, it, it basically prompted my decision to go to Urbana. It prompted every decision that I've made, like, now, like, looking uh, post-graduation. Like, it 
like three years ago, if people asked me if I was going to be interested in this, I would have never said that. I mean, it wasn't something that I'd be interested in, right? But like, it it's impacted every aspect of my life, like kind of like permeated through everything. And so I really encourage you guys, if you have any questions, like feel free to ask. I love talking about this. I talk about it all the time. Uh, if you're tired of hearing me, you should talk to Marshall because Marshall, actually you should talk to Marshall first um, because he's amazing. Um, so yeah, if you guys uh, just, I don't know, like um, I guess uh, it's, there's a website, it's www.gupy.org. Uh, um, the applications are up and I would just really encourage you guys, oh, for people who are graduating seniors, um, you can still do it over the summer. And I say that it's a great, like what a great way before you go off into the real world. Um, yeah, oh, and it also, uh, counts for your Pupal internship for Pupal majors. Um, you won't have to deal with messy paperwork. I already dealt with that with Elise. So I really encourage you guys to do it. Oh, but make sure your requirements are finished first before you do it. Um, and yeah, okay. Thank you. Thanks, Keisha. Okay, I apologize beforehand. We don't get